This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Ecclesiastes in chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Preacher wrote, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of busyness, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and in many words that are divers vanities, but fear thou God. Just a short exegesis in the first verse. There is a broad general warning. Then the verses that follow down through 6 there is a specific warning and then the very last part of verse 7 there is a an admonition to follow God several years ago I was in Muskogee Oklahoma on a Saturday and visiting with one of our former trustees it was his birthday and I've been traveling through the area and stopped to say hello to him. And he wanted me to stay and go to church with them on Sunday. He had resigned his church, one of our BMA churches, and he didn't feel like he needed to stay there with a new pastor coming and wanted to kind of get out of the way and give the new guy a chance to do what he needed to do. So he moved across the county to where his children lived and was going to church with them in a large church, probably six, 700 people there that morning. Big fan-shaped auditorium with four sections in it. And while we sat down and got ready and had a song or two, the pastor announced that Sister So-and-So, and I don't remember her name, had told him earlier in the week that she had studied the passage he was going to preach on that day and that she was a dance instructor and that she had composed an interpretive dance of the passage he was going to preach on. And he was so impressed that she would be so dedicated to praying for him and studying the passage 
that he said that he thought it would be a good idea for her to give or perform her interpretive dance for us that morning. So the back doors opened wide open. Down the broad center aisle came this lady in her uh, leotard suit, I guess you could call it that, danced down for us, sort of ballet style, down all the way to the front, did a few pirouettes in the front, then went down that aisle, faced everybody, and then came back, went down that aisle, and came back, dancing all the while, waving her arms, turning about, sort of, again, sort of ballet style, and then came back to the very front, that as the climax of the whole thing, threw her hands up in there and ran out the back door. And Miss Desi, Brother Jack's wife, leaned over to me and said, Brother Holmes, I don't know what some people think about when they come to church. I was thinking the very same thing. I said, I wonder what in the world were they thinking about? Just a few months ago, I had a pastor ask me in another continent, in a question and answer period, he said to me, I said, I have a lady that claims to be Pentecostal that has joined our church, our Baptist church. And on occasion, she has new revelations, a word from God. And she wants to give them during our church service. When she says she has a new revelation, do I have to let her give her revelation? Now those seem like extreme circumstances, don't they? They would be for most of us. But I'll assure you this, as budding young ministers and pastors, maybe somewhat more experienced pastors, somewhere along the way, someone in your congregation in this day and time where we put a premium on innovation and doing new things, somewhere along the way, somebody's going to come and ask you to insert something into the service or insert some kind of new attitude, maybe not just a new action, a new element for the service. They'll ask you to do things in the wrong way, perhaps with the wrong attitude, and sometimes do the wrong things with the wrong attitude and in the wrong way. You need to be fortified in your preparation, in your heart, and in your mind, fortified by the scriptures to know how to handle these circumstances. King Solomon obviously had had some experience with people giving what we would call, what he terms here in the King James Version, the sacrifice of fools. The good news for us as pastors and leaders in his churches is that we can worship God correctly. We can do what he expects of us. But at the same time, we have to be cautious because when we don't, there are bad consequences that come about. First of all, we can worship God properly. Here's what we're supposed to do. Look with me, first of all, chapter 5, verse 1. He tells us a few things to set the stage, to help us understand what we need to do about this proper worship. It says, first of all, keep thy foot when you go to the house of God. Now, we know that this is Solomon, son of David. David, the prophet 
and priestly kind of a king, and his son Solomon also fulfilling at different times the role of a prophet, fulfilled the role of a priest. He was the king. And we know that David and Solomon both point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. We know that the temple there in Jerusalem, it wasn't a permanent structure. It's not there today, is it? Was God's will foiled? Was God defeated? The purpose of that temple was to point forward to the temple of today. Some people would dispute with me a little bit, but I'll make this declaration today, and it is the older orthodox position that all the promises and all the goals of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ and in his church. All these things point to Christ and point to his church. So we'd say today, Watch your foot. Keep your step. Pay attention to what you're doing, where you're going. When you drive up at the parking lot of your church, or you are walking down the hallway here to the chapel, you need to put a lot of thought into what you're doing. You need to be careful. Because if you're not careful, if you're not thoughtful about where you are and what you're doing, coming together with the people of God. Not in the Old Testament temple, not that this is a temple. The Bible tells us that when we gather together and we praise God, that God is present in the praise of his people. In our day and time, the temple of God, where people worship, where the localized presence of the Holy Spirit is at particular times, is when the living stones of God gather together. Our bodies individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we gather together congregationally as the people of God, the gathering together of God's people is the temple of God today that he indwells. We need to pay attention to where we're going, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. Because if we don't pay attention to these things and have an understanding of where we are and what we're doing and having the proper attitude, we might fall into the mistake that some did in the Old Testament and offer the sacrifice of a fool. In other words, coming insincerely, casually, perhaps even irreverently, gathering among the people of God to say we're offering things up to God. That is indeed truly, truly a foolish thing to do. And there are consequences for it. What does it say the consequences are down here? Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. A point to make here is we can, again, offer proper worship to God, but we need to be careful because of the circumstances. Right here is the why of being careful. The circumstance. They don't realize that they do evil. What's a synonym we would use more likely for evil today? When we commit evil, when we rebel against God, when we don't do what we know we ought to do and then do the things we know we shouldn't do, what do we call that? We say that is sin in our lives. So the reason to be careful, the reason to pay attention is 
Because when we don't and we come before God and say we're going to offer worship to him and it comes out as something that shouldn't be, something he's not expecting, something that doesn't glorify him according to his word, God says when we do that, when we offer foolish sacrifices, that it is sin before God. And there are consequences to sin, aren't there? We know today, and we're almost sure, I'm almost sure, positively, all of us here today have been born again, and we're the people of God. We know that when we sin, when we are careless, irreverent, perhaps insincere in worship, that's not going to cost us our home in heaven one day. It's not going to cost us our justification. But what will it cost us? It will cost us our fellowship with God. We will pay the consequences when we get out of fellowship with God. That's why it's important to be careful and cautious when we come before God, come together with his people and say we're going to worship him and do things that glorify God because when we don't, we fall into sin. The good news is that we can do it. We want to ask the question this morning, how do we know that we are offering pleasing, correct worship to God. Again there in those verses, it gives us an idea when you go through verses 2 down to verse 6, there's a reoccurring theme all the way through there. The idea is that people are paying more attention not to the word of God and his revelation, be more ready to hear. What did they hear when they went to God's temple in those days? What did they hear? They heard the reading of the law. They heard the singing of the Psalms, heard the instruction and teaching of the Levites. The idea here is that when you go before God, when they went before God, they would pay more attention to listen to what was going on and pay attention than to give heed to their own emotion and their own visions and their imaginations and their innovations, what they think might be correct, or their distractions to the things of the world. The same applies to us today. When we come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, we need to come not worried about our inventions, not worried about what we might think would be pleasing necessarily to us, what might please my particular taste in preaching, verbal communication, oration, not to be worried about my particular taste in music, whatever that might be, not be worried about seeing the things that go on in the world stage, in the world of business or sports or politics, whatever it might be. Think about it. Those things really look nice. I think those things would be profitable to bring more people into the house of God, that more people be worshiping God. Maybe I had a dream last night, and I feel like I need to expose the church to those kinds of things. Solomon said to the people that day, put aside all these things of your imaginations and your visions and all the things that you come up with on your own. He said, all the things that you come up with on your own. He said, there are all kinds of diverse, all kinds of different vanities. You know what a vanity is? Something that is absolutely lightweight that has no value, it's empty. 
our imaginations, the desires of the lusts of our flesh, our eyes, and the pride. We think we could invent something to please God outside of what he's already ordained for us to do. They're all strictly vanities. He said, don't pay attention to those things. But what does he say to pay attention to? Again, be more ready to hear. Hear what? Those days, again, the Torah and the Psalms. What about in our day? Be more ready when you come to be prayerful about not what's going to please you or excite you or entertain you, but be more concerned and dedicated. Come into the room, come into the building saying to yourself, I want to hear the word. I want to hear the word read. I want to hear it preached. I want to hear the word prayed. I want to hear the word sung. I want to see the word made flesh, you might say. I want to see the word dramatized in the ordinance of baptism and in the drama of the Lord's Supper, the picturesque value or presentation of the gospel for my eyes. That's how you know that you're listening. Lord Jesus is the king of the church, the high priest in charge of the temple. Our high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect and last priest. Again, we are the temple. We are in his church, gathered together as his people in this temple. And we come together here. It's to hear from our great high priest. Hear his word. Sing his word. See his word in the ordinances. And we do those things. Jesus is the only lawgiver for his church. We look to his word about what we do and not to our own imaginations. That's the broad principle. He mentions something very specifically here, though, in this passage. talks about making vows. Promises. Particularly in Old Testament times, I think you study a little bit, you find out that vows were somewhat of a common thing. You go to the temple and you'd bring a vow before God. God promised before the congregation, perhaps before the priest, my family is barren. Lord, give us children and I'll do this or I'll bring that. God, we're poor. Would you bless our flocks and bless our fields and our vineyards so that we can be more prosperous, we can make our way better in the world and we won't be poor? God, if you bless me, then I'll do this or I'll bring this kind of a sacrifice. But evidently in Solomon's day, people would make these kind of vows about their sacrifices and then what did they do? When the opportunity came to hold up their end of the bargain, they decided they had something else to do with their resources than fulfill their vow to God. People make all kinds of vows today. One of the more common ones we see made in the presence of God today is the marriage vow between husband and wife. And oftentimes, I think I've seen people, I perceive this, that their vows meant little more to them than signing the bottom line on their income tax form. They stand before people as witnesses to their vows and say they're going to be married for life. They'll forsake all others and cling to that other person only. 
And then as time goes along, perhaps they forget what they vowed. They didn't just vow it to that person and vow it before those witnesses. They vowed that vow before God, God as their witness. If you don't fulfill that vow, there's a price to pay. Oftentimes, people join churches today. And they think that joining a church is somewhat like selecting the grocery store where they're going to trade. Well, you know, Walmart has a better special this week on grapefruit. So I'm going to take my business over there. Then the next week, well, Brookshire's has a sale on hamburger meat, so I'll take my business over there. Maybe later, somewhere down the way, H-E-B has a great deal going this week on cut flowers, so I'm going to go over there. People look at their church membership oftentimes the same way. I'll go there because I like this or I like that. And when I don't get that or I don't get this, I'm going to go to Walmart across town. I'll change my attendance. And all the while in most churches, on the wall someplace, and in more serious churches today, There is a church covenant. Most churches today, many I'm afraid, probably the majority of Baptist churches, particularly in the South I'm familiar with, they have a church covenant they've hung up somewhere and there are not 91 person out of 100 that knows what it says. That when they they gave themselves supposedly to the church, nobody even communicated to them that there was a covenant involved in being a part of that church. There are obligations that you obligate yourself to when you become a member of a particular body of Christ. And if you do it properly, you affirm those vows when you join that church. You affirm your obligations to that local congregation. And that congregation has obligations to you. I'd advise you very strongly to look at some of the new church covenants that are being written today. I would say I propose this. If you don't have a church covenant that people obligate themselves to when they come to say they're going to be a member of that church and there is no church discipline involved, you don't have anything more than just a religious club. You really don't have a real church. If people aren't covenanted together, taking vows lightly. Churches in the past, when they would call a pastor, they'd read the duties of the pastor, and they'd call upon the pastor to make a vow to his congregation that he would uphold his end of the bargain scripturally. And then the church is to make the similar vows to the pastor that they call. They'll support him the way the scriptures say to support him and invest their lives in him as he invests his life in them. Preachers take those vows very, very lightly and leave at the slightest hint of disturbance, slightest bit of their feelings being hurt, and scatter and abandon their flocks. That's a serious matter. Those are vows before God. 
Those things are worship before God. It's not just when we come into the building and sing songs and pray and preach and read the word. Romans chapter 12 says we're to give our whole bodies as our sensible and reasonable worship before God, our service to him. It's not just these acts we do when we come into these buildings like this and say we're going to worship. What that passage is saying in Romans 12 is that all of life is worship and service to God. Everything I do as a believer in Christ somehow is service, somehow is a reasonable sacrifice to make to God. And we don't do our best. We don't keep our vows to our congregation, to our churches. We're offering up foolish sacrifices and vows before God. As teachers, our duties in this school is give our best, not just deliver lectures, not just to impart facts, Our job is to give our best and give it to the students. Devote ourselves to what we do. See it as making disciples, not just giving lectures, not just presenting papers, but giving ourselves, not just to God, but giving ourselves to the students. Do our best. Students the same have the same obligations. Many students fail to read the student handbook about academics, about campus life, the housing and all those kind of things. But you know what you're supposed to do before you're admitted to school? Miss Lisa, what are they supposed to do about that student handbook? That they have read it and they'll abide by it. Did you... Read, even cursory amount of reading in that student handbook. And then sign it and say, I did it. That is foolish service to God. When your teachers sacrifice their time and their family time, personal time, to devote themselves to you, not just in the classroom, but in the halls, and when you need private instruction, private help. When people sacrifice to build these buildings and refurbish the interior of this room, and then we don't even take time to read the student handbook and say we're going to abide by it. See, when you sign that line, you're saying, I promise to abide by what I say. And your preparation for ministry is part of your sacrifice of the totality of your being in the service of God. Good news for us beyond Solomon's day is that we have something Solomon didn't have. We don't have visions and prophecies. We have the more sure word scripture we have it all we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us not just like the outside world that has the law of God written in their conscience in the new covenant 
We have the law written in our hearts, but also endued with the power to walk in those things, to worship him and serve him according to the scriptures. Let's bow together for just a moment. Father, we bless your name again that you've given us your scriptures. We have a more sure word than anybody in the past has ever had about how to worship and serve you. Father, help us think and live according to that admonition. Help us put our own desires, our own thoughts, our imaginations aside and dedicate ourselves to serving you according to the scriptures. cannot do it by ourselves. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that enables us to serve you. Help us love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. To your glory. We ask in Jesus' name.